Welcome to the Team Health Sponsored Beyond Clinical Medicine, what they don't teach you in residency program. Today, we're going to be talking about telemedicine. Telemedicine is the use of telecommunication and information technology to provide clinical health care remotely. It's been used to overcome distance barriers and to improve access to medical services that would often not be consistently available in rural or even sometimes near urban communities. Some of the earliest uses were teleradiology to get 24-7 coverage, then other services to provide urgent neurologic evaluations in stroke patients. Now there are ICU hubs in which intensivists are surrounded by data and video monitors to ensure constant real-time care of patients at distant sites. Video and data communications are part of modern telemedicine, and the distributed client-server application uses are expanding dramatically. So today, we're speaking to one of the leaders of this expanding field, Dr. James Horst. Dr. Horst has completed a residency in psychiatry at Henry Ford and then another in child and adolescent psychiatry at Wayne State. He's currently the National Director of Behavioral Health and Post-Acute Care for Team Health. He's been deeply and nationally involved in developing and providing access to telebehavioral services to underserved locations across the country. Jim, thanks for joining the program. Thanks for having me, Rob. Appreciate it. So, Jim, telehealth has been growing at a rapid pace, and the spectrum includes everything, as mentioned, from remote ICU care to consumers with this sore throat calling an unknown clinician for teledocs or swift md we've narrowed the discussion today to talk about telebehavioral health can you share with our listeners just what that is and how it works yeah before i answer that question i'd like to just mention that on a daily basis i get asked how do we see more patients in behavioral health specifically how do we get more prescribers involved with behavioral health. And the the next question I get is, how do we drive outcomes more effectively in behavioral health? And frankly, the answer to both of those questions is what I normally say is, is telemedicine. And when I start describing telemedicine to people, I start with a statistic that I think is incredible. And that is 97% of all counties in the United States have a shortage of psychiatric prescribers. Let that marinate for a second. So really the answer to what we're trying to achieve regarding driving outcomes and seeing more patients is the ability to leverage technology. And that's what telebehavioral health is. And so you mentioned it in your opening that the further you get away from real urban centers, the less we have as far as coverage. And again, this is the beauty of telebehavioral health is being able to be everywhere and anywhere. It doesn't matter if you're in downtown Detroit or if you're in rural North Carolina, you can get the same type of results and coverage by using this technology. There are urban centers that have psychiatric services, but I suppose having worked in an emergency department for many years, I I see a significant lack of uh, real-time availability. Do you deal with those issues as well? Yeah. In fact, ERs are where we could have the most dramatic impact of flow of patients. So if you take ERs and you look at the current 
population that utilizes ER, it's alarming how many psychiatric patients use ERs as really just primary care. The reality is a lot of these folks are um, without other types of insurance and end up in emergency rooms for either brought there by police or loved ones, uh, but then they're in the ER. And as you just described, Rob, working in an ER is challenging to begin with. And the thing that generally is less understood compared to all other fields of medicine is behavioral health and psychiatry. And so what you end up happening is you have this population that comes in there that is in desperate need of help, uh, but really doesn't need to be admitted into a psychiatric inpatient unit. Frankly, they need to be observed and then treated within the confines of the ER and then discharged appropriately out to outpatient services. Well, the reality is um, ER physicians, rightfully so, are very, very shy about discharging these folks back out to the population without having a quote-unquote clearance from a behavioral health specialist. And I can tell you that even in a urban setting, having somebody come down to the ER and actually clear these uh, patients is very challenging and time-consuming, frankly. So what ends up happening is this backlog of patients in an emergency room that really have already had the treatment they need, but they're looking for that last piece of clearance before going back out to the outpatient center. And that's what is, and that's where telebehavioral health can come in and provide that support almost immediately. So as soon as the care is given in the emergency room, there'd be ability to have someone uh, remotely come in via telebehavioral health and provide the clearance that's necessary for them to go back out to the community. Another statistic that we often use is of the 90% of the uh, of the 90% of the psychiatric patients that come into an emergency room, less than 20% need to be admitted. So the rest of them are literally sitting there as a backlog for the facility. I can certainly understand that. I want to break this down into two pieces. And since you began with the ER, let's let's go a little further in that direction. I believe that emergency physicians feel poorly trained and uh, that they have uh, often inadequate backup to make decisions. So we even have patients that are pretty obvious, such as uh, perhaps a teenager who in front of others says, I can't take it anymore and swallows five Tylenol uh, with a clear low risk in a high rescue situation. But we also have others that uh, are having perhaps command hallucination, psychotic people who may actually be dangerous. How, how would we call somebody like you and, and what would you do in those situations? Yeah, the facility or the ER has an established relationship with a telebehavioral health vendor. That's ideal. And in that instance, those two examples that you gave, although in different ends of the spectrum, frankly need the same amount of attention. And so using your first teenager that had what we call a pseudo-suicide attempt uh, still needs to be cleared appropriately and discharged to uh, an outpatient center for appropriate follow-up. But at least they had a touch by a true mental health professional. And you're absolutely correct when it, when you mentioned that ER physicians in particular 
feel inadequate, frankly, in managing this population. A lot of it had to do with their training, but it also has to do with the medical legal risks that are involved with these patients. And again, this is where telemedicine can come in and be very on point with providing some support to the ER physician. And then certainly in your other example, somebody with a command hallucination, it would be very important to have a mental health professional, specifically a psychiatrist, to go deeper in that interview and that workup of that patient, where at least the ER physician got it to the point where they realized this is something that is beyond their scope, that needs more intervention, and most likely needs to have an inpatient admission. But before that, what else is going on with the patient that we can learn, that we can actively treat prior to that admission, which it certainly should be able to cut down on the length of stay once admitted. And again, that's where telemedicine can come in and provide that overarching information and certainly a deeper dive diagnostically. So one of the particular advantages I could see uh, is that uh, patients who reside for prolonged periods of time, psychiatric patients, uh, in the emergency department often are significantly under-medicated. So I suppose if I needed help and you were on the phone, uh, you could help advise me in medicating that group of patients as well. That's exactly right. When it comes to telebehavioral health, Two major advantages is, number one, it's almost instantaneous um, if you have the right amount of coverage and support, but also they can do truly an observation of that patient uh, through the video and can recommend to the ER physician based on what they're seeing and certainly the feedback from the staff and then obviously what's reported from the patient, what would be the most effective treatment for that patient. There are a lot of nuances that go into psychiatric prescribing, and a lot of it has to do with observation, just watching the patient. You're looking for certain side effects. You're looking for certain motions that may give you an idea of some type of internal stimulation. And these are things that a general ER physician probably won't pick up. And even the staff probably don't understand how to report it. But if you just have the ability to see the patient, it can be quite striking and put you in a direction of treatment that will be most effective. You mentioned use of video. I'd like you to perhaps weave that, uh, the use of video, into answering the question shifting from emergency medicine. There are a lot of internists and family medicine physicians or or, um, other specialties who wind up admitting patients, of course, with uh, behavioral issues. And some of them are hospitalists, some are not, but many of them do not have access to uh, behavioral consultations. Do you provide that as well? And if so, how do you use video in that setting? Yeah, today's technology is tremendous. So there are several vendors out there that we work with that have what are are literally video carts that can be wheeled from room to room and set up in front of the patient so that, for instance, I can see the patient in in their own setting, uh, be it in a nursing home or in a ER or certainly in a hospital bed, and I can hear from them directly, and I can ask questions that maybe their staff haven't already asked. And then I can observe their response. So looking at people's eyes can tell you a lot of what they're feeling. 
and you can't do that any other way besides that visual component which the video provides. So there, there are amazing opportunities with the vendors that are currently out in the marketplace to actually see the patient in real time and ask questions in the real time, which provides, again, the ability to have the most appropriate treatment. And again, your, your goal here is to be most effective in the shortest period of time, therefore reducing the length of stay, be it in a hospital bed or in an ER bed. Can you describe a situation on uh, an inpatient unit where you might be called to provide support? Yeah, the most common is uh, suicidal behavior or thoughts uh, when it comes to consultation uh, and certainly the most risk. Uh, so that'll be where there's been some type of comment or they've relayed something to the staff member, maybe directly or indirectly that they're thinking about harming themselves. That would be by far the most common reason for a staff member to reach out for a consult. And at that time, certainly the patient will be put on uh, a one-to-one, which means that there's a staff member there sitting with them, documenting anything else that they say or do, but also just to provide some support for the patient and some safety. And in the interim, they'll make a call to one of our providers to ask for the consultation We'll get the feedback from the staff and maybe even talk to the attending. And then at that point, the video monitor will be set up in the room and we'll be able to start asking questions in a diagnostic way and be able to provide what would be considered a reasonable opportunity to provide the best and the most accurate information to the attending to make the most best and accurate disposition at that time, be it this is somebody that just went through a very traumatic part of their life, and that's why they're in a ER or they're in a hospital bed and are just feeling overwhelmed and upset and just frankly need some maybe psychotherapy that's on, on site or may need some just some support or if they're already on some psychiatric medications that adjustment to the medication but don't need to be admitted into a psychiatric unit. Or on the other end of the spectrum, it clearly, again, is a traumatic moment in their life and they don't feel like they're able to go on any longer and they do have a plan to harm themselves and they do have the means to do so. And we can provide the support and certainly help with the transition from whatever place they're in into a safer place, be it an inpatient unit. One thing I would like to mention about telebehavioral health is the changes in just the acceptance of it. Even over the last couple of years, you use that example, Rob, of, you know, getting a consult on the floor for whatever reason. And the one I used was for suicidal behavior. In years past, even like five years ago, if you were to wheel, you know, a video cart into a geriatric patient's room and say, talk to the doctor, it would have been a very unusual and strange experience. Well, now, uh, if you sit in an airport, for instance, You'll see, you know, people talking on their phones to someone, but they'll also have the video there and doing live chats. And it's not uncommon when you walk down the halls of a hospital to see people in their hospital beds with their iPads out and they're talking to a loved one or whatever the case may be. And there's the video there. And certainly Skype and all the other platforms, really the population is so used to that medium, it has become very helpful for us in behavioral health because it no longer is a fear factor. 
people are used to talking to others on this type of medium and just talking to a doctor is just like talking to their grandson at this point. So the acceptance of it has gone up significantly, which means the barriers have gone down significantly. So we get a lot better data from our patients than we did even five years ago. And it truly is just, you know, part of the cultural phenomenon that's happened with technology. Well, certainly the technology has become increasingly comfortable. You use the word uh, data, and that's a great segue into the question, does it work? Is there evidence that this process has been successful and that it's expanding? It's expanding leaps and bounds, frankly. And there's nothing that's going to replace an in-person formal interview a diagnostic interview with a mental health professional. Uh, But this is so far better than having, as we just described earlier in our discussion, people that are really trying to do a good job but don't have the skill set to manage this population. This gets us much closer to having the right answer than that. And that's the reality of our current world and the fact that we do start to see improvements in outcomes specifically regarding uh, reductions in medications when appropriate. There is no doubt a prescribing phenomenon in behavioral health that if they're on something, you're not going to change it. And what I mean by that is the person who generally starts a psychiatric medication is not the one that follows that patient going forward. Patients don't require ongoing psychiatric medication treatment very often. There's probably only about 25% of the population that's on psychiatric medications that would require it long-term. This is where telemedicine can be very powerful and having the ability to make appropriate uh, assessments and, and make the appropriate recommendations to reduce medications. Medications lead to a lot of things, such as positive outcomes, but they can lead to also negative outcomes, including side effects and certainly drug-drug interactions. And frankly, they're costly. And so having the ability to use telemedicine to get to more people, to drive those outcomes, is extremely powerful. Uh, There's a statistic that we often use when we're giving lectures that for every dollar that's spent on behavioral health, and that could be using telemedicine or traditional therapy or even psychiatric medications, for every dollar that's spent, $6 is saved. So this is, again, the power of telemedicine and being able to reach a greater population over a shorter period of time. Wow, fascinating. And I, it, it certainly makes sense to me that if I could get in touch with somebody like you uh, and make a decision about a patient, it might prevent a prolonged emergency department stay for somebody who could uh, otherwise be discharged after uh, a consultation and discussion. So uh, who, uh, who would do it? Well, obviously, you're doing it. Who, for whom would this be a good practice? Yeah, I mentioned the medium earlier, and uh, it is absolutely perfect uh, for our current graduates, quote-unquote, the millennials. They love technology. Uh, they want a work-life balance. And so this telebehavioral health is really a sweet spot for them. What I mean by that is, again, they're used to technology. They're very comfortable with it. In fact, they seek it out. So it's very alluring to them. But also, 
it provides them the ability to be flexible. They don't have to necessarily go into an office or go into a facility or even a hospital. They can do it remotely. They can do it from their home. They can also supplement their current uh, positions, be it part-time in a hospital. They can do this part-time. So really, that's been almost a recruitment strategy for a lot of organizations is to use telemedicine to recruit the millennials and provide them with the work-life balance they're looking for. The other really positive part of this is it, uh, again, it provides an ability to downsize and even do it from a home office or do it in their current office, but just not have the cost of some of the other overhead that goes along with a private practice. So... Rob, to be honest, it really has become an ability to A, recruit, B, to extend your career, and C, for the ability for a department to expand their ability to see more patients. Well, it certainly sounds like an exciting opportunity. So, Jim, if somebody who is listening to this podcast uh, wanted to either join your team or utilize your services. Would it be okay if they contacted us and we pass that information on to you? That would be great. Please pass along my email and my contact information. Perfect. So what a wonderful opportunity to improve the care to a significantly underserved population while simultaneously creating a practice that's attractive to providers. Jim, any final words to those who might want to use or participate in the delivery of these telebehavioral medicine services? You know, like anything else in medicine, you want to leverage the best tools possible for the greatest population. And that's what telemedicine is, frankly, in in psychiatry. It is is the solution. I'll go back to that 97% of the counties in the United States have a psychiatric prescriber shortage. The only way we're going to even bend that curve remotely is leveraging technology, and that's our telebehavioral health program. So I'd encourage anybody and everybody to engage in it and certainly uh, promote it as much as possible. Well, this has been fascinating and informative. Jim, thank you so very much. You too, Rob. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this Beyond Clinical Medicine podcast with Dr. James Horst. If you have any questions about the topic or want to get in touch with him, please contact me at beyondclinicalmedicine.org. Thank you.